this conclusion. Hello and welcome to the Credit Pearls podcast. This podcast is aimed really at anybody who was in business, but particularly if you have a product or service that you have an agreement where you buy now and pay later or allow your clients to buy now and pay later. Today, I have a very special guest on, somebody who I was a little bit nervous to ask on. Um, his name is Colm O'Brien. So Colm, thanks a million for being here. Oh, come here, my pleasure, Sharon. And uh, you shouldn't at all be nervous. As I said to you, we're buddies at this stage, Zoom buddies. Yes, Zoom buddies. We will meet in the flesh very, very soon. But I just want to give the listeners maybe a little bit about you and your background. And the reason why I had you on was because of your background and your vast experience in business. So Colm worked in the hospitality industry in the 1980s. He did exit his four-lined mousetrap, that is the senior corporate job, way back in 1988. So I do want to talk about that statement in a little while, but we'll get back to that. And the highlight of Colm's career um, was joining um, and managing the Bewley's Cafe in Grafton Street in the early 1990s. Um, he was also instrumental in establishing Bewley's Cafe Theatre, and he became the finance or franchise manager for the group, the Bewley's Hotel. I'd say that was fantastic, Colm. We will chat about that again. Colm then moved to Limerick in 1998, so he is a dub. And he moved to Limerick in 1998 on a Bewley's Cafe franchise, which went very well until it didn't. Um, a perfect storm of, of events conspiring to force him to close the doors in 2005. So again, we'll chat about that. Um, I've read the book, so we, I know a lot about this already. Um, by that time, he began um, a fledgling school meal business, which has now grown into a 10 million in annual revenue. He also employs more than 100 people and he feeds 30,000 children during the school year. Colm wrote his first book, Feeding Johnny, and this highlights the ups and downs of his career, and it became a firm favourite amongst solo entrepreneurs and senior corporate managers. Now, I've read this book, and I think this is fantastic. And it's my go-to book. I often go back to it just for tips and pointers. So it's really, really good. Um, feeding Johnny, fantastic. And um, this led to him being asked to coach some business owners. I'm one of them business owners that he coaches. Uh, he's fantastic. And as I said, I was, was kind of nervous because I'm a bit... Um, I suppose I'm a little bit starstruck. Um, so yes, and he has a new, he has a coaching business and a franchise, which is called Wigwam. And that stands for Wonderfully Inspiring Goals, Weekly Accountability Meetings. So I've also participated in that column, as you know, which is brilliant. His weekly vlog podcasts, The Coffee at 11 show, um, and that's shared. And I didn't know that your audience is 20 million. I won't tell you how many people listen to my podcast column. It isn't 20 million, so, but I won't share that just yet. Or you might change your mind and say you don't want to be in the podcast. Um, and this year, you've, you've also taken on to help run a charity called carry.ie. You might tell us about that later again. Um, so you've just had a massive, massive bit. You also run another business called the Carambola, which is the, the school business. And we can talk about that later if you like. Um, so, Colm, that's a massive, massive career. That's because I'm old. Sure, that's because I don't look that old. <laughs> I was thinking when you were saying it's a podcast and, uh, you know, uh, they, there's no cameras, it's probably great because they won't see my grey hairs and wrinkles. And, uh, but look, come here, uh, th thanks for reading that out. It, it, um, it's, you know, there's a lot in there, uh, but, I, I, you know, I am old. Well, not old. I, I, in, fact, I, in fact, I'm loving life. I, I talk about this thing. Too many people get bent out of shape about getting older. And, but I came across this thing on the internet, which I, think, which I think is fabulous. And it's that instead of getting older, we're actually graduating up through the levels of life, like in a game, right? Yeah. So I'm very happily level 58 at the moment, looking forward to level 60, 70, 80, 90 and 100. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be eccentric when I get older. It's just wonderful. I'm really excited. About oh, yeah, it. me too. I'm going to be just, yeah, definitely, definitely. I find as I, I got older, look, I, I always really didn't care what people thought about me I, I wasn't one of those people but definitely as I got older I care less yeah no, and I'm yeah. braver I'm braver than I was in my 20s and that's nice and it's nice to be able to say that as you get older because sometimes you can go the other way and people can get locked into their heads and think I'm old now and I've, I've done oh, as much as I can do and you shouldn't do that only starting only starting only starting yeah. um so where do you want to go what, 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 where do you want to go I suppose this I really wanted to give people some ideas about you and your background so can we talk a little bit about the book I'd love to do that because I think yeah. the book like what inspired you to write the book obviously you've had a fantastic career but what was the inspiration behind the book 
Why did you do it? This is, it's sort of mad, this conversation, right? So the book was actually a bucket list thing. I was turning 50. The book was written in 2013, right? Okay. I was turning 50. And I, for some reason, the back of my head, I always imagined I'd be a writer. I had this idea, you know, this sort of romantic idea of me sitting yeah. in some wattle hut somewhere with the Indian Ocean breezes wafting through, right? Uh, tap Tapping away on it. On a, but I, mean, I have nothing to back that up, right? I'm, I'm a Northside dub, so... <laughs> furthest thing from reality but I always had this idea that I'd, I'd, I'd like to be a writer and then a friend of mine uh, Pat Slattery um, his partner Donna Kennedy was running a book writing course in 2013 in January in Limerick I, I'm a Northside dub living in the Midwest now and we might talk about that and uh, so he rang me to say he was basically basically, basically selling he, he rang me to say look uh, Donna's doing this book writing course you should book yourself in so I thought you know what I will I, I treated myself a couple of hundred quid 500 quid or whatever it was for the for the half day uh, but out of that came the book feeding johnny so wow. now what was interesting was i never intended it to be a business book i just went, i went to the pro, to the half day to write a book and donna said to me she said because of my school lunch business she said you'd probably write a book she said oh yeah she said your book will set you up as an expert in something somebody writes a book it sets them up as a potential expert or a, a supposed expert in something okay. So she said to me, because of Karen Bowler, she said, you'd probably write a book about nutrition for kids. And I said, no, I know nothing about that. We employ people who know that type of stuff. But I'll tell you what I do know. I know the pain of having lost my first business and having to you know, crawl back from the ashes yeah. and rebuild. So I said, I'll write about that. And that became Feeding Johnny. But it was never that was never the intention when I walked into the room that day. Okay, and then, okay. yeah, it was fun. Seven months later, I had a draft. Um, uh, got introduced to Liberty's Press. Uh, that was 2013. It was published in 2015, I think. And did you uh, self-publish or did somebody publish? Oh, no, Li Liberty's Press. You? Yeah, Liberty's Press they, took They it. did it for you. Okay, wow. And, uh, it's a brilliant book. Well, well, yeah, it was only once once it was written and once it started to gather life and once once there was, once there I saw that there was going to be an event, you know, a book launch, I began to realise, I began to look at some other people. Uh, you you know Dave Sheehan, of course. Yes, through I do, yeah. I went on a Dave Sheehan webinar late one night and all of a sudden I began to get a bigger picture for the possibility for the book. For me, as I said to you, it was a bucket list thing. I've written a book, my ma will read it, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I, know. I have a podcast, my ma will listen to it. I'm yeah, in that song. There you go, that's, that's exactly it, yeah. And um, so, but anyway, other people came along and other people read it and then people began to come to me because of the book and say, do you see what you, what you wrote about in chapter four or chapter seven or whatever? I'm going through that in my business now. Would you coach me through it? So I became a business coach and somewhat of a reluctant business coach, to be honest, you know, um, yeah. but I fell into it. Um, but that wasn't the plan. That was, And talk about the time it takes to write the book and the discipline behind that, because I know I, I, I do a lot of networking, as you know, a lot of people want to write books. But what about the time and the discipline that it takes to do that? Uh, it takes a lot. It takes a lot. Um, uh, I suppose the starting point, Stephen Covey used to say, begin with the end in mind. I think that's the first habit of the seven, if I'm not mistaken, begin with the end in mind. So we, you have to decide, you know, going back to the title of the book and what the book's going to be about, you've got to decide what you want to write about. You know, there's got to be yeah. a shape to it. And then you've got to break that down and then you just got to get stuck in. Um, but it's about, it's about, it's like getting fit, Sharon. It's, 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 yeah. it's discipline. It's daily discipline and you know sitting down and doing something even if it's rubbish you know just just spitting paper, uh, words onto onto a, a, a processor or whatever and um, because you can always go back and edit it but the, the worst thing to do is do nothing yeah that's okay. i think that's that's for everything in life and you're quite vulnerable in the book which i think is brilliant and that's what drew me in you went back to your very early days as a schoolboy, how that was for you a very similar background to myself and then you talked through your whole life and the ups and downs and your business and when it didn't work. Do you think that vulnerability or being vulnerable helped the book do so well? I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Because nobody, nobody knew me. And, um, you know, as I said, I, I wrote it for myself. Um, so I was chronicling those early years. Uh, my mom read it. My yeah. dad read it. Um, but I also... Um, what, what it allowed it to do, but that wasn't... I, I had no idea what I was doing at the time. But what it allowed other people to do was read it and, and get the feeling that they knew me. Yeah. Well, I didn't just parachute in with this multi-million euro business. Am I great? In fact, I talk about that in the, in the sort of forward to the business. I'm sort of saying, 
there's a problem out there, in my opinion, with business books. You've got these, you know, billionaires who've got it all put together and they're saying, you know, look what I've done. Um, but they ha- they don't really go in to tell you how they did it or what life was like beforehand, if that makes sense. And I'm, 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 I know I'm generalizing here. Um, there, there's other types of book that upset me as well, um, where it's somebody who hasn't actually built a business, but r- writes a bus book to teach you how to build a business. Right. Um, because being self-employed and being a business owner are two wildly different concepts, but not everybody gets that. Um, so, yeah, I think I think being vulnerable allowed people get to know me a little bit. And, yeah, uh, did. People- and, and, and for me, it was like the vulnerability in the book for me was like, OK, if I make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. People make mistakes. Things go wrong um, and you have to uh, and things will go wrong. Mm-hmm. No, no doubt. But it's what you do about it. Yeah. And how you handle that and how you handle the ups and downs that makes people successful. So there's no road to success. That's a straight line and easy. No. It's difficult. And I think for me in the book, that's it was like you allowed yourself to be vulnerable. That allowed other people to say, it's OK if this happens to me and it's OK to say it. Yeah. It's not a terrible thing. And it doesn't mean you're a failure. It just means you did a tough time at a certain time in your life. So yeah. for me, that's why it was brilliant. Yeah, and you came back and you created it. You took what you learned in that and you created a business that is very successful now. And and you're giving um, coaching and advice to other people, which I think is fantastic. So you're giving back to people like me who are early in on the journey. And so that, I think that's brilliant. So I love the book. The book is called Feeding Johnny. And for people, if they want to get their hands on this book, how can they do that? Yeah. <clears throat> I'll tell you what, I, like I'm not in the business of selling books. That's not that's not my business, right? <clears throat> okay. Sorry, sorry. Uh, but if, if people would like to link in with me on LinkedIn, uh, I'll happily uh, send them a, a, an audio version for free, which is me reading the story. Which brilliant, brilliant. That's gone, really, uh, really brilliant because it's got all the Dublin needs in it. Um, so if people want to do that, so uh, LinkedIn, uh, I think search Colin O'Brien Motivation on LinkedIn, and they find you. Yeah, sorry, you. brilliant. That's br- no, all the phones go off. This is brilliant. It's a normal life. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic book. So, talk us through your business. We, we, we just touched base there when we were reading about it, that it said you had to shut the doors of your business in 2005. That was the franchise that you took out in Limerick. So you moved your family to Limerick in 1998, packed your bags, moved to Limerick, set up a business, which went very well initially. You had to close the doors in 2005. And you, and you referenced this in the book because of a perfect storm, as you call it. So what went wrong and why did that happen? Okay, well, first of all, we, you spoke about PJ Holmes, that wonderful gentleman we both know just before we started. And PJ Holmes gave me that w- wonderful type, uh, that wonderful phrase, the fur line mousetrap, right? That's yeah. where I got that phrase from. No, the fur line mousetrap is basically the corporate job. It's soft and it's warm and it's fuzzy and it's comfortable and the paycheck comes in, right? And there's yeah. the perks and there's the company car and there's debt to debt and two weeks holiday or for whatever it is, right? Yeah. You can turn the phone off. Okay. So leaving that, even though there's many people out there perhaps listening to this podcast who are thinking, I'd love to get out and do my own thing. It's bloody scary stepping out. Right. So um, for me, I just had enough. Eventually, I just got to the stage. Actually, what happened was uh, I I was franchise manager for I used to manage Beauties and Grafton Street. You mentioned that in the early 90s. And then I was franchise manager for the brand and I um, came up with the idea that became Beauty's Hotels. And then Beauty's Hotels were sold for 650 million euro, right? But they, they, they took the one at New, you know, the one at Newlands Cross there, right? Yes, I do, yeah. That was my idea originally, right? And then they took that idea. Now, the people better than me took that idea, turned it into a six hotel chain, sold it for 650 million quid. And I got nothing, zero for the idea, right? <laughs> So, so, here, so, so that was the that was probably the final thing, uh, you know, the, the push. If I, I've got to start betting on myself in, in terms of my own ideas. I, I, I was always an ideas uh, person. So, um, stepped out, took on the Beauty's franchise down in Limerick. Now, here's I think this is interesting, if I may, if you don't mind me. Yes, no, um, fire away. Okay. Even though I had all that experience, I'd managed the biggest cafe in the country, Beauty's in Grafton Street. I was franchise manager for the brand. I had tons of two decades of corporate experience at a significant level, right? Even and, and all in the catering industry. Despite all that, I still took a franchise. I didn't go out and set up Collins Cafe. Yeah. 
right? Because there's power in a brand. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of your brand, as you know, yeah. your branding and everything about what you do, right? Um, so branding is so important. So even though I had all that experience, I still wanted the brand to be bigger than me. I didn't, you know, if you come into my cafe, I wanted to come into the cafe, not because I was there. If I put Colin's cafe over the door, you know, in, in a sense, you would yeah. disappointed if Colin didn't make your coffee. If that makes some sense. It does. It makes so much sense to me because I like with my brand, I've sort of done that where people want me um, and like the ego loves it. I kind of <laughs> like it. I kind of like it. I'm like, yeah, I love that people want to want me and want to work with me, but you can't be there for everybody all the time. So very smart that you that you had that idea. I like it. Um, and you and you and it's very hard to put the ego away sometimes. So yeah, yeah, but but, but you know, but, but you know, yours is interesting because yours is face credit consultancy, and and you're you are the face of the brand, right? But the brand is also bigger than you. You know, it's, it's not it's not Sharon's no. uh, credit bureau, right? Yeah. So, so so that gives you latitude to bring other great people in. And I remember talking to a, a I won't mention the name, but I remember talking to a, a very reputable hairdresser down here in in the Midwest. And uh, his, the name is across the door, right? And so anybody who goes in wants the name, right? Yes. And that was his problem. I've said it. That was his problem, right? That was the problem, right? Yeah. Uh, and what I was saying was, what you need to do is you need to meet Mrs. Murphy at the door and say she's there because she wants you to do her hair, and you need to bring Josephine with you and say, "Come here, lovely to have you here, Mrs. Murphy. Sit down there in the chair. This is Josephine." our best stylist and she's going to look after you and I'm going to be managing it from the background. So you, you put somebody in somebody, somebody qualified and competent yeah. in front of you. If you're the name over the door, right. Um, but it's a way of distancing yourself somewhat. Anyway, I digress. No, that's good, good advice for people. This is what it's all about. That's fantastic. Uh, Cause we can't do everything. No, we can't do everything. And, and uh, in my world, I've learned to do as little as possible, genuinely. Right. If I find myself and I would recommend this to any solopreneur out there, who is looking to expand, you got to trust somebody. You got to put somebody, now you got to do your homework and make sure they're trustworthy. You got to put somebody in front of you at every hand's turn, at every hand's turn. If the phone rings in the office, I started refusing to answer the phone in Carambola about 10 years ago. Genuinely, I'd walk through the office and not answer the phone, let it ring off the hook rather than answer it. Because if I answered the phone, the system was broken. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There are yeah, people there. I struggle with that. I think I'd put. Oh, no, I know you struggle with that. <laughs> <laughs> I know you would. Yeah. Uh, no, but it's really, really good. It's really, really good because people need to. People need. If the business is going to grow, it has to be bigger than you, and it can't only be you, and you can't do everything. And and I think that's where people get stuck. Completely. And I, was, I was talking to a lady yesterday who said to me, um, "She's taken on a new employee," and she said to me, "I have to get somebody better than me at yeah. this piece of work." So yeah. I can do other stuff in the business. And I think that's the key to it, to have really, really good people around you. Yeah. Um, because it's not going to grow. And I'd say that's how you have grown, Karen Bola, is to have the right people doing the right jobs. Yeah. And and you only find the right people doing the right jobs when you find the wrong people doing the wrong jobs, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all... It's all it's all making mistakes and and adjusting, you know, and, and you do your best to mitigate the mistakes, but but adjust when they happen. Anyway, the perfect storm very quickly. Yes. Four, thing, four things happen really quickly that put us out of business, right? And by the way, this is interesting from the point of view that you can be working really hard, have a really good product, really good team. And really yet brand, really brand, brand yeah. own brand. Yeah. Everything. I, I mean, Bewley's was the best, best known Irish brand in Ireland at the time next to, to Guinness. Right. So we had it, we had it all going on in Limerick and yet we still went out of business. So what happened? Four things happened. First thing was foot and mouth. Sorry. First thing that happened was customer dining habits began to change at the turn of the century. Right. And um, younger people such as yourself, Sharon, right. Uh, started coming and, and you wanted lattes and cappuccinos and wraps and paninis and Bewley's didn't, wasn't known for that. Bewley's was known for bacon, egg and sausage, real butter, tea leaves, there were two coffees in Ireland, black or white. Bewley's was expert in both, right? Yeah. And then they almost this, this fancy stuff. And because Bewley's wasn't known for that, they began to vote at their feet and go elsewhere. So all the Bewley's cafes in the country began to wane in terms of our business. And ours was the same. Our business began a slow decline, right? Second thing that happened was foot and mouth disease, uh, where a bit like now, uh, everybody was told to stay at home. And they did. And because everybody stayed at home, we couldn't sell 
black and white coffee and the and the rasher sandwiches in uh, because because nobody was in the city. So our business dropped about twenty percent. Uh, right. Third thing that happened when we were just coming out of that it was nine eleven. You'll remember that twenty years ago. Yeah. The stage. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Um, yeah, so twenty years ago, nine uh, eleven happened, and of course in the Midwest we were based in Limerick City. Shannon Airport was our lifeline. And nobody flew back into Shannon because uh, of 9-11. So the business stayed flat. And then finally, the final nail in the coffin was the, the Celtic Tiger. Um, uh, in 2002, our rent went up to €1,000 a day, Sharon. A thousand- I, I remember reading this in the book and thinking, what in the absolute what? And I had to read it twice or three times. It's like €1,000. He must, must be a typo. It couldn't be a day. <laughs> it couldn't be a day. A thousand euro a day is madness. Yeah, three three hundred and thirteen thousand euro per annum official, and that's six thousand euro per week. And we operated Monday to Saturday, exactly one thousand euro to the cent per day. And all and here's the problem with that: that was just for the the, the, the privilege of having the key to open the door to walk in and start trading. I had to find a grand every day to turn the key in the door, right? And then we'd rates and service charges on top of that, uh, 48 or 50. And salaries and wages and lights. Oh, and and or you buy sausages and coffee and pay staff or anything, right? So anyway, that, that wiped us out. Uh, that happened in 2003. Uh, it was backdated to 2002. And that's when that, it was in that moment that the business failed. And I used to think that a business failure would happen, you know, on a Tuesday. You'd walk in and all of a sudden, the thing would close, right? Yeah. But it doesn't. It's like a, it's like a very slow, slow motion train wreck. You can see it coming and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Right. And so it took us between 2003 when the rent review was ratified and then backdated to 2005. So another two years at a grand a day um, uh, to try and get out of the, the place. And uh, we finally got out. But it led to it led to the Carambola um, through a fortuitous meeting, a man on the train. I just just before we get into that, I just want to ask you when they put your rent up right and said, now, Colm, your rent is now a thousand euro a day. Did you want to walk away at that point and say, oh, no, I'm not I'm, I'm shutting the doors or did what stopped you from doing that? Um, first of all, I was a sole trader. I wasn't a limited company. So if I walked away, I still carried the debt with me. I still I still owed a grand a day and would would owe to the rest of my life unless okay. uh, I found a way out. So I, I suppose I got creative. Um, literally between 2003 and 2005, it was all about hustling to figure out how are we going to fix this? Uh, how are we going to trade our way out of it? You know, and we looked at we looked yeah. at a bar franchise in that same location instead of a cafe. We rebranded from Bewley's to Cruises Coffee Company. You know, we handled Bewley's with their permission. Handed the, I'm, I'm I'm really good friends with the Bewley's people, um, but you know, handed the brand back. That saved us fifty grand a year in 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 franchise fees. But all that did, Sharon, was keep us alive for fifty more days yeah. with rent. Right, yeah. so it wasn't a fix. Um, but you know, I. I Somebody asked me, uh, you know, did I ever think of sort of stopping and getting a job? And I don't think I ever did, you know, I, although that's, that's probably untrue. I, 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 I courted um, a coffee franchise at the time, a, a senior role in that, but it didn't happen. I got stuck in and Carambola came from the ashes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you just kept going and you just felt like, no. What are you going to do? What, like? what advice had you got, really? What are you going to do? Down and yeah, yeah. Anyway, here we are 20 years later. Yeah. So then you had Carambola. So tell me how that start. You had started that really at the same time, did you? No, we'll talk about the man on the train actually, because this is yeah. so interesting. Love well, this story. Yeah, the man, well, see, the man on the train is what led to Carambola, right? And this is where it gets really interesting, right? So you have the background, the cafe is dying, right? You know, literally in front of my very eyes. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing I can do. It's, it's, it's going to come to a, a, a crash at some point. So the only question was, it, it, it turned from, uh, what's that phrase they use in disasters from... Um, Oh, it's something into recovery. It, it, anyway, it, it, it changed overnight from one thing where we were looking for survivors to we were we were we were extracting the dead. Let's be honest. Right? Yeah. So um, so I, I was but I was out there and I had, I've always had a good belief that, you know, things will happen if you're out there doing your thing. And I was out there Ed, and we we changed the brand to Cruises Coffee Company from Bewley's with Bewley's permission. Um, we then exported that brand to the Liffey Boardwalk, you know, in Dublin, you know, the kiosks along the Liffey yes. Boardwalk. 
Okay. Yeah. So myself and my brother and a friend, we took those over in 2003 and we brought the Cruises Coffee Company brand to, to Dublin. So I was up and down on the train regularly because I to this day I still detest driving. I was up and down on the train and I met this man on the train one morning. And uh, a random bar. I just got on. I sat down. I was facing forward. He was sitting in to my left um, uh, at the window. We just sort of nodded at each other. Good morning. Good morning. And we both got on with our journeys. Thankfully, because I'm, I, I may appear like I'm a talker, but in my private life, I'm actually not. I, I you okay. know, I, I much prefer to sit down and be quiet myself. And I'll share a few words with somebody, but if I sat beside a talker, that would kill me. Anyway, thankfully, this guy wasn't a talker, right? Yeah. So two of us got on with our, our journeys. And then as you, you know, the train begins to slow, it's coming into Houston and we began to pack our stuff up and we started chatting. What do you do? What do you do? You know, the usual conversation. Yeah. And traded business cards. And he worked for a social inclusion group in Limerick called Paul Partnership. Okay. okay. And I handed him my business card, which was a Cruises Coffee Company card. And it had my name, phone number, and probably an email address, and then it had my, a strap line. And the strap line read in inverted commas, how can I help? Question mark. And he looks at me, he says to me, what does that mean? And I said, what do you mean? And he says, what, what does that mean? How can I help? And I said, oh, that's my offer to the universe. I said, if I can, if you think I can help you with something, give me a call. Uh, you know, no, no strings attached. Just if I, can, if I can help you, I will. And if I can't, I might find somebody who can. I've always been a, a networker. Yes. So he said, that's really interesting. And he pocketed my business card and he never rang me, but I never thought of it. You know, that, it was just one of those moments. Along with your day, that was this. Anyway, here's what gets really interesting, right? So I, I go to Dublin. That day. We're both heading to Dublin. He went back to Limerick that evening and unbeknownst to me, he gave my card because of the strap line. That's the important thing. Because of the strap line, gave my business card to his boss in Paul Partnership and said, if you're ever doing anything in food, give this guy O'Brien a call. He's an interesting character. Three months later, the boss rings. Wait till you hear this. Boss rings me. He says, have your card. You met this guy. His name is, as it happens, Gary O'Brien, right? I didn't know that, right? He says, you met Gary on the train. He said, um, and he said, you give him your card. And he said, if you're ever doing something food, give Colin O'Brien a call. Uh, I've got a project. Uh, it's a pilot project for healthy school lunches. And we've got one school in Moy Ross in Limerick, which is a very disadvantaged area in, in Limerick City. Uh, are you interested in tendering? And I'm thinking, am I what? Of course I am, right? right. I, was, I was sort of cool on the phone and said, yeah, we, we'd probably look at something like that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he came down for a cup of coffee and uh, we, we tendered. We won the tender. I heard two years later, nobody else tendered. Didn't hear that for two years. We were the only ones. The first order we took was 27 lunches for, for children in that school. Um, and today, uh, as you and I, well, when we go back in September, uh, we will serve 30,000 children a day, every day. So from uh, 27 lunches to 30,000. To 30,000 per day. And that all came from meeting the man on the train. That and, is. And, and the lessons, if I may, I, I, this is really important because... The, the, the most important thing is the lesson here for everybody that's listening, right? So two criteria, I, I, I believe, by the way, Sharon, there's a man on the train moment out there for you and for all your listeners and for me. The universe has it out there with your name on it. The universe is just waiting for you to turn up to it. So there's one for everybody in the audience, right? But two criteria must apply. One, you must be out there doing your thing, as I was, as you are as I hope your listeners are, right? Yeah. You must, must must be out there, whether it's on Zoom or whatever it is, you must be out there doing your thing. Um, the second thing is you must be out there doing your thing with integrity and to be of service first. Think of the strap line. It wasn't, my business is dying, can you buy something off me? It wasn't, we sell sandwiches, we sell coffee. It was a no strings attached, how can I help? Okay, and that's the only reason you and I are having this conversation, yeah. right? Only reason. And I'd love to think I even made it up. I don't. I, I, I found it somewhere. I've no idea where it came to me, but it. But it's been on every business card ever since. <laughs> and it's fantastic because I think a massive mistake that people make when they're networking, when they're in business, is they're selfish, and they think of getting the sale. And um, what works well for me is I actually really love people, and I love to meet new people. So when I when I meet people, I just want to hear the story and have a chat with them. And I very rarely think, and maybe I think I'm the worst salesperson in the world, but I think that's where people go wrong. If someone you have to be a giver. You have to be willing to help somebody and it will always, always, always come back. If people are networking, if they're in business and they're constantly thinking about themselves and what can I get off you and I'm not doing a one-to-one -one with that person because there's nothing in it for me. Yeah. You're a dead duck. 
everybody's just to meet people and be interesting. And that's now the proof. Yeah. The proof is in that story and where it led to. Yeah, what like, you, say, you, you didn't say to him, listen, would you, if, you know, you didn't say anything about what you were doing. You were like, I'll help you, not what can, you can do for me, the opposite way around. What can I do for you? Brilliant. Brilliant. Such a good story. I love it. Yeah, it was, for, it was fortuitous. It was fortuitous. Um, and here we are today, uh, 20, almost 20 years later. That was 2003. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I'm a firm believer in it. And you're absolutely right. We should be doing one on ones to do one on ones with people uh, and to find out about them, what's going on. And, and then if we come across um, something that can be of help to them, let, 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 let us pass on that help. Yes. Because we, we help somebody over here. Uh, you know, the left, and, and we've no idea what the universe is planning for us over here on the right, and we shouldn't worry about that, okay? The universe will tap us on the shoulder when the time is right. Yeah, it will, and it'll all come back. But And, and I, I love that you said doing our thing with integrity. Yeah. With integrity. Um, and the nature of the business that I'm in, you know, I'm in collections, debt collection, credit management. People have said to me over the past, since I started the business, Nobody, I've, no, I've seen nobody um, celebrate their business if it's debt collection like yours. But because I do what I do with integrity, I'm not ashamed of it and it mm. works. Mm. And you can still do your business and take care of business without being insulting, without hurting somebody, without being rude or overly aggressive. Mm. And that's how I've been successful over my career in collections. It's because I, I do business like that. And I don't see the need to be overly aggressive, shouting, screaming, threatening people. It just doesn't work. Mm. The world is a small place and you never know who you're going to meet again. And people can fall on hard times. And I think it was important. I wanted to have you on this podcast as well, because something that I read um, in your book that relates to what we do, um, you will get paid, trust me. And you said that to people. Okay. And when times are hard for businesses, and this is what I say to everybody, if you are running a business and you have overextended credit, so you've, you've bought products or that you can't pay for, or you're in a financial situation, talk to them, pick up the phone, answer the phone, ring them and let them know your situation. Because if, if you stop communicating, that's where it leads to problems because the other person that you owe the money to is getting stressed out. They don't know what's happening there. You're not picking up the phone. And when I read that line, I said, that's brilliant. If more people did that, if more people communicated and explained the situation and said to them, look, I will look after you straight away, that's that puts it just stops all the aggression. It stops mm-hmm. all the panic and it really builds solid relationships. Do you think that's worked for you? Or maybe oh, yeah. I mean, I'd love to say it's been rosy ever since. It hasn't, and and you know, business is not a rose garden. Um, but but certain principles uh, work, and what the, the the background that that that's a section in my book. Uh, you will get paid. Trust me. Um, I had to ring people. This was in January of two thousand and five. I knew the end was nigh. And uh, it took us till March to close the doors. But in January, when we opened up after Christmas, there was literally no money. So I had to ring all the suppliers. Now, when you hear this, right? And by the way, none of this say I'm great. None of this at all. I'm just, I'm just relating my story. That's all, right? I just did what I felt was the right thing to do at any at every hand's turn. Is that okay? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so that's all. I'm not, not saying I'm a great guy because I'm absolutely not. I'm flawed like everybody, right? But um, what I did, and this that was they were the hardest phone calls I've ever had to make. So I had to ring all of our suppliers. This was all the suppliers into the cafe at the time. Yeah. I had to ring them all and say, there is no money. You will get paid. Trust me. And there was murder. There was murder. <laughs> Let's be honest, right? And the murder depended on was it a solopreneur supplying a small bit of gear to us, or was it you know a corporate or somebody in between? There were you know there were levels, and there were managers brought in. God love them, account managers bringing in their sales directors. Yeah. They were getting it in the year because of my woes, right? So I had to work to pacify them all. But 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 we we followed through on that. I, I explained to them this is the story we're in. This is going to close. It will come to an end. And when it comes to an end, when the, the, the dust settles, you will get paid. You just need to trust me. But but I also then had to ask them, but I also need you to continue to supply me. This gets really interesting. Wow. Yeah, that is. Until we close the door, right? Until we close the door. And I also need you to continue to supply because they were all supplying my school meals business, which was fledgling over here, right? Yeah. And they all did, Sharon. They all did. Yeah. Like, you know, 
most companies would say, no way, the shutters would be pulled down, bailiffs would be sent in. So, But all that came, and this isn't about me being great, it came because of the relationships we built That's up. exactly what I was just about to say. I know why they did. It was because of the relationships and it was because of the history and it was because you made the phone call to them yeah. and you didn't bury your head in the sand and pretend it wasn't happening and wait for them to ring you. You're proactive. So yeah. I've worked in, in, in the credit industry, you know, for 20 years. If somebody did that to me, I'd believe him. Okay. I'd believe that person because I'd say, okay, he didn't have to ring me. I didn't, you know, I, he could have waited for me to ring him. Uh, and then start the, the process. But he rang me. I believe him and I'm going to give him an see, And that's the thing. And when you're working in credit, I think what people, the mistakes that people are making now is, Colm, they have a system that, that says we do one, two, three, four and five. And if the computer says no, then the computer says no. And they're taking the humanity out of it. Mm. And that's a massive mistake because they all got paid, I'm sure. Mm. They all got paid. You pay everything that you owed. And you and you built a big business and the suppliers you probably use then that were good to you, you still use now. Yeah, yeah. And the relationship goes on. And that's how business works. Yeah, yeah. And relying on a computer that says if you don't hit the criteria one, two, three, and four, you have to have humanity in it. You mm. have to have people talking to people. You have to have relationships, which are massive to all businesses, mm. and you have to have strong communication. Mm. They're the things that make the difference. Mm. Anybody can type anything into a computer and follow the process. And the computer says, no, you just don't get your, that's not how we do business. And it's not how we should do business. So I love that story. And I read that about three times. I love that line. I loved it in the book and I loved what you did. I admire it so much. I think it was brave, um, but brilliant. So I, uh, I, I, I don't know, but anyway, we got through it. We got through it. Yeah. Uh, and it was, come here, it wasn't, it was not easy or, 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 no. but, uh, but anyway, you got, here we are today. Come here, I just, you touched on something there. I wouldn't mind expanding on it if you don't mind. And this is yeah. here. Here's something that's that um, I I think is probably useful, uh, particularly if your if your uh, listeners are in finance in the finance department, let's say within a company, right? Yes. Um, I don't want to hang. I, I won't mention any names, but uh, our our school lunch business uh, lost an account a number of years back. Okay, mm-hmm. and when you lose an account, uh, you know, typically people look at the sales team. What went wrong there? Like, right. Yeah. In this particular instance, we lost an account because of our finance department. And if you ask anybody in finance department, have you got any influence on whether your company grows or slows? The answer would be no. I just collect the money. I just write checks. Right? Yeah. So here's, so here's, here's what happened. Right. Um, so an invoice was sent out to a school. And the school principal picked up the phone and said, to, rang our finance department, said, uh, invoice is wrong. Oh, sorry about that. Fix it for next month. Following month, invoice is wrong. Picked up the phone again. So, oh, sorry about that. Right. Third month in a row, invoice is wrong. He said, invoice is wrong. You haven't fixed it. We're out of here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So everything, every, every, everything in every business is related to everything else in every business. And every employee uh, is uh, has has an influence on whether the business slows or grows. Think of a grumpy receptionist. You pick up the phone, you know, you ring a phone, and they yeah. are grumpy on the phone, or you know, it 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 has an impact on your impression of the business. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, and that's why we on our last podcast we actually spoke about having the right people in the right job. Um, this is massive for me, and I'm learning it more now that I, I have my own business. Having the right people. Like that was just crazy. If I heard somebody, you know what I mean? Fix the invoice. I'm sure it was a simple thing that they needed to do. But the impact that that the wrong person in your business can have is massive. I always say um, the credit team can be the biggest generators of leads for any business. We can sell. I can sell to you when I'm collecting because I know you, Colm. And I chat with you every day and I say, Colm, how are you? How's it going? How are things? And my job as the credit controller is to love you and get you to love me. Because if you love me, you'll, you'll pay me. And I know that you will. And I can ring you all the time. But I also know if you're a good payer or not. And I also know if I understand what, what our business is selling, I can upsell to you. Say we're selling hand cream and you're buying hand cream all the time. And now we've moved, in, moved into hand sanitizers. When I'm on the phone to you collecting, I'd say, Colin, do you know we have a whole thing of hand sanitizers here as well? Would that be something you'd need? Yes, it would, Sharon. You, I also know you're an excellent payer. So I'm happy to sell to you. Oh, and wow. here we go. I send that, that lead then into our sales team. I have to tell them I'll get somebody to call you. That's how business works. And that's how have the right people doing your credit control can actually sell for you. 
And That's my team, when I worked in other companies, were the biggest generators of leads because I spoke to them about this. And wow. I said, the people that you know and you like and you love and know, like and love you, sell to them. Wow. And because it's, it's in everybody's interest for the business to grow, not just the salespeople. Wow. It's not just the salesperson's responsibility to sell. It's not just the credit person's responsibility to collect. Everybody should be doing everything. And um, so I, yeah, when, I, I, when, when, when are you writing the book? Oh, you stop. Are, that's why I asked you. I, I don't know. You're unique, you unique in, in my opinion, you're unique in your understanding of the function and the possibilities around the credit control department. I mean, that's that's phenomenal, that thinking that it that your team of credit controllers were the biggest generator of lead, leads. Yeah, they were. That's a fact. Yeah. Outside, obviously, of the sales team, outside of them, but within the business, we generated the, the biggest amount of leads for the sales team. And because I had the right people in the job and we were talking about this and they understood that they weren't just more calling and, and you owe me that invoice. It has, they have to have personalities. And that's why and that's where I got the idea for this business. And it actually works. And I know um, I have Mary working here and I had a, a client on that rang me the other day and said, I don't know how Mary is doing this. Clients love her, but we're getting paid. But that's why. That's why. It's because she's, she knows what her role should be and she understands the power of it. And, and that sales thing is phenomenal. So I, I love that. I, and I keep telling people this. Stop seeing your finance department. Stop leaving them in the bells of the business and leaving them there counting money or collecting money. They can do so much more. Wow. So, and your experience around that, they can do so much harm. Yeah. You know, if they're if and you wouldn't have even known that, like you wouldn't have known that that happened. So I think, yeah, it's 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 really, really, really important, and um, to have the right people doing the right things. But as leaders in businesses, we need to be communicating this to, to to our staff and to the world, and to say, look, everybody's responsible for everything. It's not like this is my piece and that's all I do. I think it's so much more than that. Mm. Um, right. So we'll move on. So that was something that you did. You spoke to all your suppliers. I admire that so much. For people who are in that situation at the moment, um, what advice would you give to them today? The In the situation of businesses looking... They dodgy. owe a lot of people money. They're struggling financially. And they don't know what to do. It's tempting to bury your head in the sand. What advice would you give to them? Uh, it's not easy, but we've got to ask for help, you know. Um, we got to put our hand up and say, "I've made a mess of things here." And and you see, going back to our, our like our business failed despite our best efforts. Yeah, you know, uh, one one of the one of the positive situations that dare I say it that we find ourselves here in 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 twenty twenty one in terms of the pandemic is that everybody I won't say everybody's in the same boat because they're not, but everybody's been in the same storm, right? Yeah. Whereas when our business failed in. 2005, we closed the doors in 2005. Um, uh, we were the only ones in that storm. We, our, ours was the only business on the street that failed at that time. Does that make sense? It was the Celtic Tiger. Everybody was booming. Yeah, everybody was booming. Yeah. So, so the so the difference now is that everybody understands. Everybody understands, right? And and therefore, it, it, you know, there was sh and there is shame attached to. And, and ego gets bruised and all the rest of it that goes with with, with that with a, a business failure. Um, but at the moment, there's opportunity within that on the basis that, lads, we've just been through 18 months or whatever it is of pandemic. Yeah. My, my business is hurting. And I know your business is hurting too, but we got to work this together. Yeah. Because, you know, if we, if we don't come through it together, we won't come through it at all, you know. I, I, I agree with that, Colm. There's a lot of goodwill out there and it is an opportunity because it's unique and everybody, and even if you're not um, struggling, your business isn't, you, people can see it. People can see it all around. Hotels were closed, pubs were closed, restaurants were closed. So people can see it. So it is a good opportunity. But I think the key message is, is to communicate. Don't bury your head in the sand. Take action and do something about it and ask for the help. You know, don't be ashamed. Ask for the help, which I think is really, really important. Um, but but dare, dare I say, maybe, maybe maybe a service like yours, Sharon, uh, could be beneficial where, you know, uh, like I've heard you talk about um, some of the, the, the processes you put around uh, credit control. And, you know, it starts with the sale. Uh, the, again, there's something that I would never have considered. I don't, I don't live in your world. I don't, 
you know, see things as you see them. But, you know, somebody like you coming into a business, you could probably very easily look at the state of affairs of a company and see, well, do you know what you could do? You could release 50 grand here if you did blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? You, yes. it's, all about, it's all about cash flow. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask you next. Managing cash flow for businesses is a big, big, big problem. Um, any advice around that um, for, for people in business? Like what I see, there's two things I see. People overextend credit to their clients. So they sell, 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 and they don't worry about getting paid. So they have a massive debtor's book and they absolutely don't know what to do about collecting that money. They've no process in the beginning. They don't think about who they're selling to, all of that. On the other side of that, there's people who overextend credit from their suppliers. They use them like a bank and then they can't afford to pay them back. So you just can't seem to balance that cash flow or manage that cash flow. Would your advice be get an expert in or would your advice be get yourself the information like go do a course, understand your finances or how do you manage it? Okay, re really good question. Really good question. Um, uh, <clears throat> entrepreneurs, solopreneurs are not experts in everything. Okay, we're we, we probably are best jacks of all trade, right? Uh, but masters of none. Uh, I was talking to somebody recently, and I was saying like I, I ran biggest cafe in the country, and I was in catering for whatever number of years. But I, but I'm not a chef. Don't put me in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you want the place to close down, don't. Put me in the kitchen, right? So yeah, I I don't need to be a chef to run a restaurant. In fact, many excellent chefs don't make good restaurateurs, right? Yeah. Um, I also don't need to be an accountant to run a business. But that doesn't mean that I should be sweating at two o'clock in the morning trying to do a VAT return. I'm allergic to that type of stuff. Yeah. Seriously, I'd sooner stick pins in my eyes than... I don't, I don't think I've ever completed a VAT return in my life, right? Because I'll hire an expert in to do it. I'll hire an accountant and somebody that I know, like, and trust. That's really important, right? Yeah, and I've yeah. made mistakes, by the way, over the years and hired people that I thought I knew, thought I liked, <laughs> didn't trust. And now I simply know them, <laughs> if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you're going to make mistakes, but outsource. I think that's probably the best advice I can give to people outsource you hire in an accountant and you've got all the challenges associated with hiring the right person you know bring them in they're there five days a week all the stuff that goes with that right or outsourcing to a competent uh, outside provider um take karen Bolder, for example if i may we don't we have a fleet of vans 20 odd vans and a handful of trucks floating around the country we don't own any of them right we we, we lease them on a regular all the time because we know it costs us a little more per month, but we know what the line is on our PL. It's that line for transport, right? And everything's included in that, right? Yeah. It, it could be maybe 20% less, perhaps. I don't know what, right? If we were to buy them and depreciate them and all that type of stuff, no interest. So I'd much sooner outsource to an expert in any field. So you, the question is, what would I be doing? What have I done? I've always had an accountant working around me, working close by my side. Okay. And if, if if you're a solopreneur, if the business needs you outselling, don't be wasting your time doing a VAT return. Yeah, yeah. yeah. IPA, income producing activity. Focus on income producing activity, not, not cost saving activity if you're the business owner. Drive the business on, you know, settle it down, know that it's all working behind you and then drive it on. Drive it on. And people can get stuck in the detail, as you said, spend an hour doing a VAT return and someone will have it done in 10 minutes. Yeah. But that's the point. That, that is the point. I, 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 it would take me hours to even pluck up the courage to open a VAT return. <laughs> I'd be all bent out of shape about it, right? No point. Pass it on and move on, you know? Yeah. So, the, so that's, like, that's my advice is, is bring, bring in the experts. Yeah. Uh, find somebody you know, like, and trust. Let them in. Show them what's going on. And, and then get out of their way and listen to their advice. And, you know, sharing your case in point, I, I think people should, I, I see wider opportunity for you and your business than perhaps, and maybe maybe you're involved in wider stuff that, I, that I'm unaware of, but I just see wider opportunity in terms of cash flow consulting and, you know, ge ge generally how you might structure somebody's, not just their, their credit control, but their overall financing. I, I think there's opportunity for somebody like you. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of opportunity out there for people. I think like not just myself, but other people, because 
this is the one thing that I'm seeing when I, because I'm in businesses now, there's two things to happen. People are afraid to let you see because it's like when you ask them, you talk to them about what's going on. They, they're afraid to let you see. It's, it's like looking inside of them, okay? Because it makes them very vulnerable. So they just limp along and it just gets worse and worse and worse instead of letting you in. And sometimes somebody, they, it, might not, it might be worse than you think or it might not be half as bad as you think, but to let somebody in with the, with the expertise to help you. And that's really all that it is. And then once they do and let you in, the relief, the relief for them. And they can off go off, you know, doing things that they should be doing in the business. I'm learning that now myself as well. I'm a bit of a control freak. So I try to do everything myself, but it's not serving me. So I have to do what I'm really good at and let, and let myself focus on that. And the business is not going to grow if I'm sitting at home doing a VAT return or inputting, you know, invoices into the bookkeeping system it's not going to do anything it's not benefiting the business so I loved what you said there just give me that quote again what you said about um not worrying about what it's costing give me that quote again oh god I think I made it it was just saying you know don't what where you're put your energy where it's going to grow the business oh yeah 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 uh, uh, income producing activities not yes. cost saving. okay so you know I'll give you a, a, a small example if I may we take apples right everybody understands apples and apples are seasonal right? Apples are changing price. You see it down Tesco the whole time mm-hmm. right, per kilo based on time of the year and all the rest of it. So when we were, start, when we were starting Carambola all those years ago, we needed to buy apples, right? And the problem was we were getting a fixed price in the door for our lunch, right? And Johnny, feeding Johnny, Johnny, that, that whole, the, the thrust of the, the title, by the way, is feeding Johnny, we feed kids and all of our clients, we call them Johnny. So we just feed Johnny, right? And uh, anyway, so uh, one of the problems we had, we had a fixed price coming in the, the, at the top, right? And the apple could cost us eight cent today, nine cent tomorrow, 10 cent the next day, 11 cent back to seven. And, you know, could go up and down all year. And I didn't want that in the business. I wanted to know that an apple was costing us whatever for the year, a bit like, bit like leasing the, the, the trucks. So I did, did a deal with our fruit supplier and he was sort of saying, oh, but it's all seasonal and the winter to change. And I said, I don't, I don't care. Charge me just a flat price for the year. Right. And if there's a, a better margin in that for you, grand, I don't have a problem with that. I just need to know that apples, let's say, are costing us 10 cent all year. Right. Now I know. Right. Now I know it doesn't matter how many apples get ordered from us because they're all costing us 10 cent, regardless of whether it's the middle of winter or the middle of summer. Right. Yeah. And I was able to lock that away and drive the business on. And that, Sharon, is why we went from 27 launches to 30,000 launches. Instead of me sitting there on a Monday morning saying, how much the apples cost us last week? Ah, 11 cent, 7 cent. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so that makes sense, right? Yes. Penny pinching, right? Yeah. Lock it in. Know you can live with it. Whatever cost, whatever price you, dis- you, you agree with somebody for something, know you can live with it. And make sure there's a margin in it for them, right? And then drive your business on. Lock it in and drive it on. And go back, go back to it a year later and do another deal again right and that helps you manage cash flow because you can know in your mind that's going to cost me this i'm not going to get a fright in six months time when that goes through the roof or it's costing more i know what it costs and as you said then i'm moving on brilliant advice and like so many people are penny pinchers worrying about the smallest things like the house is on fire and they're worrying about something i just it shocks me it shocks me they're fighting over that so really really good does i i know we're nearly like we're here nearly an hour so i just wanted two things that i want to ask you um, tips you'd give for businesses over the next to help them protect, prepare themselves over the next 12 to 18 months. Okay. Now I know we, nobody knows what's going to happen. It's been a mad year, good and bad. Some businesses have done really well, but I, I tell you why I put this question in because there's some people now who are going to go mad selling, right? They're going to go mad because there'll be an uplift of goodwill. People have money and there's going to be kind of a false bubble. I think over the next few months, they're going to go crazy selling. So, Advice for people, you know, maybe just relax, maybe do sell, don't sell, be careful who you sell to. What advice would you give to businesses or is there something that you're doing yourself to plan for the next 12 to 18 months? Oh, big questions. Okay, sorry, Colm. Don't don't, don't, don't be sorry, but there are big questions. Um, You know, um, knowing you and knowing your business, uh, I know when you're talking about sell, 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 you're looking at potential dangers around yes. yeah around yes. credit right so yes. uh, but it, you know i'm only responding to that because that's you yeah uh, 
question, right? So that definitely needs to be considered. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, salespeople will get the sale typically salespeople will want to get the sale regardless of, and they'll do all sorts of deals and, you know, don't worry about the credit terms. They'd be grand. Yeah. Come here, it's officially 30 days, but 60, you'd be grand. Just don't tell them. Yes. Right. yes. <laughs> but so, so the company's got to be very strong, got to like set limits and, and be willing to walk away from a sale. That's very important, right? Yeah. Be willing to fire a client if, if, if a client, if a customer isn't paying you on, on time or is, is causing you inordinate difficulty, seriously, fire them in the nicest possible way. We're clearly not a fit for each other. We've decided that we can't, we can't do what you need us to do, so we wish you well. Indeed, here's the number of our competitor, right? Yeah. If they're a pain in the ass to you, brilliant, hand them over to your competitor, right? Yeah. Let them be a pain in the ass to your competitor. Um, so, so be careful. Okay. Um, the other thing that I think because of what's happened, uh, we can't predict the future. None of us. Uh, so I do think it's an overused word pivot, but I do think every business should be looking for ways to operate differently into the future. Yeah. Right. You know, if you've only got one and Carambola, dare I say it, is, is case in point. We've only got one client, which is schools. You know, we, 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 we're looking for ways to extend our reach. Um, you know, if, if the marketplace into which you supply gets affected, you, Dell, case in point here in Limerick, years and years ago, when Dell pulled out, you know, thousands of jobs and livelihoods and other businesses, peripheral businesses yeah, around us. That, that had focused all their attention on Dell, you know, blew up overnight. So I think... Rather than pivot, what's the word I'm looking for? Diversify. Diversify somewhat. Have other irons, irons in the fire. I always imagine if we have one source of income, whether it's from a job or one client, let's say, it's like a stork standing on one leg, right? Yes. So having two sources of income or two good clients, there you're standing on two legs. Imagine you're in an earthquake, do you think you'd stand on one leg in an earthquake? You wouldn't. You'd get down on all fours, wouldn't you? Yes. Okay. So that's an analogy for what we need to do to feel secure. If we if we have multiple significant clients, let's say, as opposed to just one, if if one client is making up the majority of your your sales book, you're you're vulnerable. Find a second one, and a third, and a fourth, and you know think think of a centipede. There there's a secure animal. Yeah. In, in an earthquake, right? So I just think we need to diversify. We need to be involved in multiple things. I'm, I personally am involved in multiple things as a result of that thinking. I don't ever want to find myself back in the situation we found when our cafe was closing, when it was failing, and we had nothing else to turn to. So, yeah, very good advice. And I think, and it's an ideal opportunity to start to think about what else can, what else can I do? What else can I get involved with? What yeah. else can our business do? Um uh, and people have had to do that because of the pandemic and it's been good, but some people haven't. Yeah. Should. And I like that to think it's something that people, a trap that people can fall into. They love one big client or two big clients. And when that's gone, it's over. Yeah. So your business, maybe think about how you can. That's very good. I'll take that advice myself. Thanks, Colin. Uh, two, two, two quick things. I know, know we're short in time, but two, two quick stories. One is a, a significant wholesaler that we've been working with for 25 years. Or so whenever we, 1998, uh, that has, has supported us all through our businesses, right? Uh, they had a very large client, which was the Bewley's contract, which is, uh, I'm ex-Bewley's, right? And all of a sudden, one year, Bewley's changed horses, right? And 20 million gone overnight right uh, to, to a competitor so that's the challenge when your business i used to think by the way that once your business got to a certain point all your problems would go they absolutely don't they just change they grow in size right okay, okay. so so, so uh, you know let, let if you've got a big client happy days look after them but they're not the be all and end all because they can switch tomorrow Okay. Uh, change of personnel sometimes. Somebody yeah, that's, that's all it can take. That's all it can yeah. take. Absolutely. And you and you've done nothing wrong. And one final thing that I, that I want to ask you is, this is for everybody in business. How do you manage the pressure and the stress? Any advice for people around that? Something <clears> I struggle with sometimes. <clears throat> um, you know, how have you done that and come back and continue to do that and manage that stress and pressure? Oh, um, that, that, that time was a very difficult time. Um, I, I always 
felt I grew up, I became a man through that period. You know, once once the doors were closed, I think it was the 4th of March, 2005, we actually closed the doors. I remember it was quite a lonely thing. I was the last person out, you know, closed the doors, turned the key, and I was walking down Cruiser Street in Limerick, feeling quite ashamed, right? You know, and I thought everybody was looking at me. Of course they weren't. They had no idea they were getting on their, with their lives, right? But I remember feeling quite, quite ashamed. Um, so we took a while to regroup you know, lick our wounds and whatnot. Um, uh, and we've, you know, we've come back. So uh, now I'm quite good at um, managing my stress levels. Uh, read a really interesting book, which I'd recommend to you and your, your readers called Into the Magic Shop. And it's the story of a neurosurgeon who actually was wants to learn magic as a kid. And I won't go into the story, but anyway, in that, um, the he, he, he learns four lessons in real life from the mother of a man who owned a magic shop. Her name was Ruth. And it was a really lovely story. Um, but there are four practices and I've, I've adopted these four practices and it's about, it's, it's, it, it's relax, your, relax your body, tame your mind. Clarify your intention, right? Those four steps, relax the body, tame the mind, um, open the heart and clarify your intention. So I've gotten into that practice now. And it, it's really interesting because when we're calm, we can think. And the difficulty is if we're all caught up in our heads and somebody like your man O'Brien is telling you on the podcast, you need to calm, you're thinking, what the fuck? <laughs> he doesn't know what I'm going through. <laughs> I, yeah. I get it. I get it. I get it. However, nothing changes until something changes. So you got to start looking after yourself. First, self-care is not selfish. Poyumph, there's a, there's a P-O-Y-O-O-M-F. It's an acronym that I created, Poyumph, and it stands for put on your own oxygen mask first, right? We learn, we learned it on planes when planes were a thing. Put on your own oxygen mask first. It's the only way you can be of service to yourself and those around you. So if you're in business for yourself, if you're feeling the pressure at the moment, it's going to sound completely counterintuitive. Take a break. Take a break. Go to the beach. Right. sit quietly, listen to music, read a book, get out of your head, play golf like Sharon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really good and really important because like you can't explain pressure and stress and the impact it has on the body and the impact it'll have on your business and on your staff and on everybody else. So it's something that we we need to get better at, I think, and um, definitely my generation and your generation weren't good at it. Um, and we didn't talk about mindfulness and we didn't talk about managing stress and pressure. And that was for weak people um, because we, did, we, we could handle everything. And I think the more we talk about it now, and it's something that I really wanted to ask you about because that was a lot of pressure that you went through um, and you came back and, you, and you're still on it, but you are a very calm person. When I meet you all the time, you're not up here. Sometimes I am. <laughs> you're not you're not uh, hyper all the time and you're not anxious and excited and you know mad uh, so it's, it's and it's probably because you've got more mindful and you're relaxed and you concentrate and focus on that so I think that's really important for people in business like it's just distress it will kill us mm. distress it, it just will oh really will yeah cold share by the way is, is useful right uh, have you heard of Wim Hof no Wim Hof, W-I-M-H-O-F, this guy, he's known as the Iceman, and he, he talks about cold water therapy. So I, I do a lot of swimming in the Shannon here, yeah. and, uh, and it's, it's, it's really lovely. Cold water swimming is fantastic. Uh, but as a sort of precursor to that, uh, somebody was suggested that I should have a cold shower, and I hate a cold shower. However, what I do now, what I do now on work days, every work day is, and by the way, work days as opposed to weekdays, right? Uh, on a work day, I will have a shower, hot shower, regular hot shower, and then just at the very end, whack it down completely to cold, right? And I do this thing. I have this mantra, right? And 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 I I I stand there front on to, for for the, the mantra, and then I turn to my back for the mantra, and then I go each side, right? And she comes out wide awake and ready for the day. Wow, I'm gonna try it because I think I'm allergic to cold showers. Yeah, a few people have said it to me. Um, I'm going to try. The hard, the hard part is stepping into. In, I, I, I couldn't step into a cold shower, but you can turn it down, and you can even graduate turn it down over a couple of weeks. I was going to say turn it down slowly. Easy yeah. does it. Easy does it. But now it's great. Genuinely, it's great, and it's and the it last. Um, job done. Like did, did it before. Came on here with you. 
job done. Brilliant. I, I, but but I, I also I I don't put my head under. I, it's it's face and body and you know back of my neck and body because my mother said to me years ago she said uh, uh, to keep warm she says you need to keep the top of your head the soles of your feet and the backs of your hands warm. <laughs> so you don't need the coat. That's a good one. I won't let it on my head. Freezing. Can't stand it. Right. Colin, this has been brilliant. I actually look for it's been, it's, been, it's been fun, but I hope it's been useful. It's been phenomenally useful. And that's why I, I really wanted to do it because I think you can add so much value to people in business and to people in general. So your LinkedIn is Colm O'Brien Motivation. Is that it? Have I got that right? So yep. That's the best pay, place for people to connect with you. I think it's the easiest and I'll, I'll happily, anybody who connects, I'll, I'm just going to check that. I, I, I'll, I'll happily um, send people a link to the audio version of the book, Feeding Johnny, How to Build a Business Despite the Roadblocks. Yes, it is Colm O'Brien Motivation on LinkedIn. So people can connect with you there. I think I've enjoyed today. I've enjoyed it so much and I was so nervous and I don't know why I was. It was fine and you're lovely and you did really help me. So thanks a million and thanks so much for your time. Okay. And for everybody listening, um, if you found this useful, please let your friends know. It's called The Credit Pearls um, and get in touch with Colm O'Brien, even just to chat. He's fantastic and he's been a massive help for me. So thanks a million. Pleasure, Sharon. Thank you.